Paramedic 61, District 6. Stage 1 shooting. Skimmer Wayne, near Lakeland, Charles, 478 Tango. 378-1654. Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS. Now the always entertaining Chris Ceballero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Well, here it is, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, it's time to go Inside EMS. I'm your host, Chris Ceballero. And I got to tell you, man, Christmas is just around the corner. And, man, we've got some really great news, and we've got some exciting news for you today. We've got a couple things planned for the end of the year, and I think you're going to be really excited about it. But if you want to be excited, this is the time to be excited because I'm going to bring in our co-host, and here he comes, Kelly Grayson. Kelly, come on in here and excite the group. Um, how would I excite them? Really? Is that what you got? That's uh, that's all you got is that, without video. I don't I don't know how I do that. Uh, I'm just not as manic as you, man. You're like Hammy. That's <laughs> so, right. Thanks, Chris. Uh, it's uh, Christmas just around the corner, man. I'm starting to get pumped. Looking under the tree for gun shake packages. Is uh, what's your favorite holiday? Is Christmas your favorite holiday? Yeah, I think it would be. I think Christmas and Christmas and Thanksgiving are, are probably my favorite holidays. Awesome. Well, I guess we're in that time frame. So you're fresh back from Texas EMS. How'd things go down there? Oh, man, it was great. We, uh, it, it was wonderful. We uh, had a, uh, three good sessions. Uh, my workshops went off, uh, uh, were a success and uh, collaborated with, uh, with Jason Dush on a lecture that was very well received and hope to be collaborating with some other people uh, in the future. Uh, we'll talk about those as, as the, uh, the plans finalize. That sounds great. And like we talked about, uh, we have some really great news that we're going to announce today in our uh, clinical issue slash guest segment. So we're really excited about that. Kelly, before we get to that, let's go ahead and talk about the news. And I know uh, you got the first news story. So let's go ahead and bring it to the listeners. And uh, what do you got to share with them? Got a, got a couple here, actually, uh, in the, uh, the field of resuscitation. First is, uh, is a, an article uh, on EMS-1 by Kenny Navarro. Does amiodarone increase cardiac arrest survival rates? And, you know, the knock on amiodarone and, and for that matter, antiarrhythmics and, and medications and cardiac arrest in general has always been, well, yeah, they may temporarily resuscitate a corpse, but do they make a difference in long-term outcomes? Do they increase the only meaningful metric, which is survival to hospital discharge, uh, neurologically intact? And Kenny does a good job of, of uh, uh, um reviewing the arrest and alive trials in which amiodarone was compared to uh, the initial trial where amiodarone was compla- compared to a placebo and was uh, was demonstrated uh, very effective when compared to uh, sterile water at resuscitating a corpse. Uh, and then they compared it in the alive trial, uh, head up with uh, lidocaine and, and amiodarone as far as, as uh, ROSC is a far uh, better antiarrhythmic than, than lidocaine. But the, you know, the knock has always been that it does not it's expensive and hard to administer and it's uh it's um not useful for uh, improving long-term outcomes but kenny uh points out that there is a new formulation of amiodarone it's aqueous amiodarone without a couple of uh um additives that uh, that were added to the previous formulations of the drug that keep the keep it dissolved in solution keep it from precipitating and both of these additives were independently shown to reduce the force of myocardial contraction and produce hypotension which are also some of the big knocks on, on amiodarone 
so this new new formulation of amiodarone, this aqueous amiodarone, is being trialed right now, and the trial looks to enroll about 3,000 participants through nine locations across the U.S. and Canada, and we're hoping to see the results on that in, in September 2015. Hopefully, we'll soon see some further data on whether amiodarone is, is actually useful in, in cardiac arrest resuscitation. And our second item in resuscitation is um, St. Rita's Medical Center in Lima, Ohio is doing a new, they're, they're one of the latest centers to, to implant a new type of implantable defibrillator. I had the privilege of uh, speaking to, uh, to these guys at their EMS banquet uh, this past May. A nice hospital and great providers, uh, EMS providers in that area. St. Uh, Lima's, uh, or St. Rita's rather, is, is implanting a subcutaneous implantable cardioverter defibrillator. Uh, unlike your, your traditional AICD, these things uh, do not have direct contact with the heart. There's no uh, electrode into the myocardium. Less infection rates, less complication rates, it can be removed more easily. They're working on trying to make the device smaller and, and uh, more easily implanted, but uh, it's a uh, it's a potential uh, big advance in, in implantable cardioverter defibrillators. Something that uh, much more easily implanted and, and hopefully a lot safer than the uh, than the traditional ones. Yeah, I think I think that one of the things that's interesting is when we talk about those defibrillators. Uh, it's interesting now how they're starting to do more and more research with these devices to say, you know, maybe they don't have to be so evasive. Maybe you know we don't have to have them attached to the heart. Maybe we can, and, and it just goes to show that as the years tick away the medical field is starting to see more and more innovations that are really helping the patient. Now, going back to the initial story where we talk about amiodarone, this kind of goes backwards to say we put something into place here that uh, it was supposed to help with no real documentation that showed that it helped. Uh, so I'm yeah. really excited for this study as well that if the eventuality is uh, we could start showing that we're making uh, good strides because, you know, you and I have have talked about in the past, Kelly, that the EMS of the future for billing purposes, we're going to have to show patient outcomes and we're going to have to show that what we did mm -hmm. made a difference during that transport. And right now we've got no evidence and we have no opportunities to show, you know what, we had such and such in the ambulance. This is what we did for them. This is what they were like when we picked them up. This is how we fixed them. And, and, and without this background, without this research, without this, this paperwork that says we're doing our job well, we're really going to have some challenges. But with that, uh, let me go ahead and go to my story. And my story, you and I talked about this uh, when it initially happened back in July. And this was in New York City, the cop that uh, gave the chokehold to the gentleman that wound up going into cardiac arrest. And you and I were not very big fans of uh, how that happened. We weren't very, very big fans of how the lack of resuscitation happened. Well, the latest story that comes out of the Associated Press in New York tells us that there is no indictment for an officer in the New York City chokehold, that the grand jury has declined to indict the officer on criminal charges. Two medics 
involved were suspended, then cleared and reinstated. And I got to tell you, you know, now having been through this Ferguson thing and the, and the unrest uh, because of oh, yeah. the uh, the uh, white cop that shot the unarmed African American, and again we now have a white cop that uh, is accused of, uh, uh, you know, the they refused to uh, indict this cop for, uh, you know, putting this guy in the chokehold. And I got to tell you, I, I mean, it's these types of things that are happening that really kind of raise the eyebrow to say uh, are we being fair across the board and you know we're starting to see these things and, and it doesn't seem that the grand jury is taking a lot of salt into you know uh, holding people accountable for things that could be uh, criminal well I, I i take the opposite stance i think uh, i think the grand jury is actually hearing testimony and paying attention to forensic evidence instead of biased memes and, and media coverage and, and inflammatory race baiting uh, that goes on with uh, the media and and the you know some of these these uh, social justice warriors who are uh, are inflaming the situation. Here's looking at you, Al Sharpton. You know, I, I, I'm going to hesitate to say to, to condemn the police officers uh, in New York for for what happened. It's not my place to say. I don't know what happened before the video. I limited my commentary to to the EMS actions in that video. And and for a patient who was who was uh, you know going into cardiac arrest, you know their actions didn't really show any sense of urgency and and lack of preparation. And that was my original beef. But I, I think that the grand jury in both cases has probably done they need the benefit of the doubt because they have heard testimony unbiased testimony with no agenda uh, on what happened and made a uh, made a um, uh, decision accordingly and I think you know a lot of the the folks in the media are talking you know uh, legal experts who should know better uh, are saying well you know you should have indicted uh, uh, the police officer in Ferguson anyway even if he if it wasn't uh, uh, a chance that he'd be convicted and um, you'd think that they they'd know better than to uh, to say such things but unfortunately that's uh, that's probably why they're talking on network news instead of practicing law anymore yeah I think that's true I think you're absolutely right but I think that one of the things that, that we have as a challenge is you know and I could speak specifically to, to the things that happened up here in Ferguson was they gave that grand jury every single piece of evidence for them to consider during uh, that that whole grand I mean the grand jury convened like the 11th or so or the third week in August and they just concluded yeah. the the third week in in uh, in November I gotta tell you if this was just a, a guy who shot another guy that wouldn't have been that process and if we're gonna set standards like that we've got to set standards for everybody because everybody would deserve the same basically you know every single piece of evidence that if it was to go to trial uh, basically what they did is they held a little trial there and uh, it was just a one-way uh, mm-hmm. event and I don't know that that was fair to that process because anybody else in that situation would have gone to trial yeah you're, you're saying that if a, a citizen had been in those in, in that uh, you know it, they would have been indicted and would have gone to trial and and I agree with that to a certain extent you know that that uh, the police are held to a, a different standard in at least these two instances uh, that uh their um you know the burden of proof uh of innocence was was not near as high or as stringent for the police officers 
But you know that that's give and take. They all we also ask a heck of a lot more of our police officers, uh, and we uh, you know I, I just hesitate to say that that um, justice was not served by uh, failing to indict these guys. I, I'm prefer to place my trust in the legal system working as it was designed rather than what a, a bunch of people who are utterly ignorant of the process think that the legal system should have done in this instance. So, you know, uh, if if the police officers were uh, were, were given benefits that a, a natural citizen shouldn't uh, get, uh, that's something that might need to be addressed. But we also need to look at the fact that uh, we expect a lot of police officers that the av- uh, average citizen isn't expected. So uh, it, it, it balances out, in my opinion. Yeah, you may be right. You know, Kelly, I got to tell you, I, I think we're really excited now to move into uh, the, next, the next segment. And, uh, you know, you and I uh, have a valuable friend and, uh, you know, some really exciting news that's been brought this week to EMS One. They have a new editor-in-chief. And we're going to chat with him now. And uh, that is our good friend, Greg Fries. And Greg, uh, come on in here and talk to Kelly and I, and uh, let's get the listeners to learn a little bit about you. Well, Chris, Kelly, thanks for having me. Really glad to be part of the podcast. I am a longtime listener of uh, this show and then, of course, a fan of uh, both of you in terms of the writing you do and presenting you do at the EMS conferences around the country, so really the honor and thrill is mine um, to be on the podcast and have this conversation. And like you mentioned, I've just recently become the editor-in-chief of EMS1.com, and it's just a really exciting opportunity for me to uh, move from a longtime columnist and reader and friend of EMS1 into this uh, full-time position uh, as the editor-in-chief. And you know, now that I'm going to be your bosses, your boss, I'll be paying extra close attention to uh, Kelly's impersonation, and I won't settle for half-hearted attempts, Kelly. you got to go all the way in on these impersonations you do with me. Uh, well, I, I, for one, would like to say that uh, I welcome our new cheesehead overlord, and uh, I promise that uh, all my Craig Freeze <laughs> All my Greg Freese impressions will, will be the very best I can do. Here, here, let's let's try this. Hi, I'm Greg Freese, and, and welcome to EMS Educast. <laughs> I, I think you have, I think you have too much vocal range in that impersonation. That's right. Uh, narrow it, narrow it down to even fewer notes. I did notice a little voice inflection in that. So Kelly, you're gonna have to work on it. Yeah. So you know, I I've think gotta, I've got to take some should help. You know, I think one of the things that's exciting as well, Greg, is, is you know, the podcasting is one of the things that we're, we're kind of starting new on EMS1. And, you know, you do come to us with a lot of podcasting experience. So I think we're excited as well that we're going to be able to get that experience. And, and it's going to help drive better content for Inside EMS, uh, drive better content uh, maybe with guests. And uh, so I think that that's going to be a big component of, uh, you know, you coming on board with, uh, you know, as editor-in-chief. But even before we get there, let's go ahead and just back up a little bit and as we start to think about your role as editor-in-chief maybe you could give us a little bit of what your uh, feel is for uh, the future of EMS1 uh, maybe some of the resources we may see uh, maybe some of the columns we may see I mean you're bringing a whole lot of experience to this position what can we expect from that experience well first of all the good news is that the EMS1 has been the 
the industry's leading news and information website for EMPs and paramedics. So clearly I'm coming into a situation where there's a very strong uh, reputation or brand and a great uh, a group of columnists and the news that we're finding and sharing with EMTs and paramedics uh, every day is uh, perceived as valuable for our audience. And uh, so, you know, that, that news and information and columnist piece, the writing, if you will, uh, get, generates a great interest and uh, lots of people engage with us both in the, the comments, the sharing, and then in the social networks like the Facebook page. You know, I think what you've identified that podcasting, of course, is another way for us to uh, deliver content uh, to our listeners. And, you know, whether it's uh, more more frequent episodes or more hosts or, you know, there's any number of ways to use audio as well as video uh, to meet the needs of our audience that has um, interest in EMS-related news, but also uh, I- exclusive content from columnists or contributors that uh, by and about our our profession, and how that might take shape in in the months and years to come. I'm not totally sure right now. I'm only actually just a few days on the job, and you know. So I think I guess I would just encourage everyone to keep listening to your podcast and to keep uh, visiting us at EMS One and. You know, watch for maybe things that might be new or how how they might change in the months ahead. One of the uh, one of the things I've always liked about EMS One is that we, uh, you know, as a as a uh, EMS news and, and information source, you guys have never been never been shy about uh, uh, allowing new EMS voices to uh, you know uh, giving new EMS voices a forum. And uh, and you're not shy about courting controversy uh, in the name of, of you know furthering the profession. You've let me say some pretty darn controversial and inflammatory things over the years in my column, and uh, uh, I appreciate that sort of thing. I think that's the kind of thing that we need in EMS. Well, uh, thanks for that, Kelly. I think I want to just touch on the thing that you called out first, and that's the you know that is a, a venue for new voices and. Um, you know, as I mentioned yesterday in the letter that's uh, introducing me to the readers, is that you know much of the successes that I've had in the last five or six years, you know, had a lot to do with the fact that EMS One uh, said, "Sure, you know, we'll give you an opportunity to contribute a column," and you know, by becoming a columnist at EMS One, I was both able to. Uh, you know, get myself out in front of the EMS profession as somebody that wanted to speak and write and um, be engaged and involved and participate. But I was also able to test out ideas I had, uh, whether it be related to education and training or just sort of the general professionalism skills, test those out in front of an audience and see what kind of reaction they got. And um, you know, my style is uh, different than yours and different than Chris's. And, you know, I think there's room for um, columnists and contributors that, that want to put out some ideas that are controversial uh, and, and challenge the readership. And then, you know, room for columnists, and I think of myself maybe more in this regard, to not necessarily put out things that are controversial, but just to say, you know, have you considered this? Or here's some things that you could do to apply to your practice or your time outside of work 
uh, just to be, you know, healthier or a better educator or a better leader. Uh, so I think there's room for, you know, new voices and certainly, uh, you know, we don't want you to go anywhere, Kelly. We continue to, to really appreciate your contributions. One of the things, uh, you know, before I ask my next question, this may be a good opportunity just to segment, uh, uh, segue into a little bit of what you said. If somebody's out there and they want to try to uh, get involved in the writing, what's the best way they can go about doing that? Um, should they send something to you or uh, should they touch base with you first? Because there's a lot of people who come up to us, you know, Kelly and I, and you as well. I mean, uh, you're an author, you're a speaker, well-respected in the EMS career field. And I'm sure you feel these questions as well is how do I now get to be a speaker? How do I now get to be a writer? So since we've touched on that as an avenue for new folks, how do they go about getting involved? Yeah, so a couple things come to mind, Chris. First of all, I would encourage them to start looking at the EMS one and the columnist and, and see what we're already covering um, and then look for the gaps. You know, Brian Fast is writing about fitness and, um, you know, Kip Tsorge contributes stuff related to uh, violent patient encounters and uh, Kelly's certainly got a niche. I'm not sure how I would describe it, but he definitely has one. And, you know, you're aiming stuff a lot towards leaders. And so looking at what the columnists are already writing about and uh, look for the gap in between, you know, where... And then what I've always encouraged people is to think about what is the, the niche that you want to become an expert in. You know, EMS is fairly unique in that we know a little about a lot of things. And as I look around, the paramedics that have the most success are the ones that pick some aspect of EMS where they want to go deep into it. You know, Tom Boutelet into 12 lead ECGs. You know, uh, Kyle David Bates really has gone sort of in deep in the sort of graphic design as it relates to education. I, I really focused for a long time on training related. You know, Steve Whitehead really gets at a lot of things related to, you know, sort of being the best you can be as an EMT or a paramedic and how you interact with the people. So look for a spot where it is that you want to go and become an expert. Take that niche, you know, maybe it's capnography, maybe it's pediatric respiratory distress. Uh, you know, there's any number of directions somebody could go uh, and dive deep. And then, you know, maybe before they fire off to me an email and says, Greg, I want to write an article about such and such, you know, write the article and then write the next article. And, you know, when I say article, I'm thinking four to 800 words, 400 to 800 words. You know, take a stab at writing two or three, you know, on this topic and and then set them aside for a few days or even weeks and then look at it again, revise it. And then I think approaching me or other editors, you know, you might have listeners that are, you know, outside of EMS and might write in other fields, um, send an email and make an introduction and say, you know, in just a few sentences, who you are, what you do, the topic that you told that you're going to dive deep into and then sort of say, hey, I've written a couple articles already. I'm looking for a place to have these published. Are you interested? Um, so I think that might be easier for people to first write something and see if they can execute rather than 
coming to me and saying, I have an idea, and then me saying, okay, execute, and then, you know, having all the pressure of actually having to execute. You know, I, I, that's great advice. I think uh, that's that's something all uh, any uh, aspiring EMS writer or columnist can take to heart. Have an exemplar of your writing, uh, something to, uh, uh, aside from your elevator pitch, uh, on how you're going to uh, how you're going to contribute to EMS one, um, just write mm-hmm. dash something off and and submit it. You know that these guys are are pretty egalitarian. They don't really care if you're a name. They care if you if you put out good stuff uh, and if you uh, if you write things that are worthwhile reading. You'll you'll get a chance. Well, and as both of you guys know, you know writing the first article or column is fairly straightforward. You have this sort of like. Uh, pent yeah. up uh, thing message that you want to share. You know, it's writing the twelfth or the fifteenth or the twenty fourth um, that oh, yeah. can become a challenge. And not every contributor needs to become a regular columnist. Uh, but you know, if it's something that somebody's aspiring to write for EMS one, you know, writing two or three articles will give you a, a good uh, some good self insights of like, you know what, is this really something that I can uh, do? And I'm sure both of you guys have seen this of like, you know, some paramedic sends you like, hey, I'm starting a blog, check out my new blog. And, you know, there's one really great post. And then the next post is like, oh, it's really hard to write these posts. And then the third post is like, it's yeah. been a long time since I've written a post. Um, and so yeah. that's sort Sustainability of... Sustainability uh, is a problem. Yeah, a good self-test of uh, are you cut out to write regularly. Right. So, Greg, let me ask you this question. You know, as we start to think about the future of EMS and the transformation of EMS from, uh, you know, running calls to more mobile integrated healthcare, and now the group of folks that are coming into the career field, um, you know, the millennials, they're they're really digital and they're, you know, using their phones for everything. And and when you think about that audience and when you think about the mode of EMS-1 being online, is there any thought to what the future of their uh, you know, getting them the information, what that's going to look like. I mean, EMS One, as you said, you know, over a hundred thousand subscribers. Um, you know, they're, they're really on the on the forefront of um, you know getting that content out there. But now we got to think of the next generation. So how do we how do we entice and how do we you know bring the the audience of tomorrow into the into the world that we're in now? Well, I, I think the good news is that that younger set. Of people, not only are they well connected, but they're um, they're skilled, or they've you know it's been part of their educational experience to look for and find the best information available to them. You know whether it be when they were in the classroom, you know they were trained to not just look to the teacher as the source of every possible piece of knowledge, the teacher in the textbook, but to go broader and to look for things. And so, I think for us, it's you know, making sure that we continue to, to produce content that's timely and relevant and accurate. Um, and they're seeking it out on their mobile devices, you know, whether that's uh, while they're on duty between calls or at other times. I think that's an important part of it. And I always want to push back a little bit on this notion of, uh, you know, the kids these days. I think there's a, a comparable challenge of, you know, you know, you know what 
us, we might say, like, oh, how do we supervise these kids these days? But then also the, to flip it around is like, you know, hey, kids, here's what you need to work, need to know when you go to work for these uh, baby boomers or these geezers. And, you know, that certainly there's a lot of young people entering the workforce, but I've also heard of many EMS services that are struggling with an aging workforce that, you know, they have enough people. The problem is they're just getting old. And, you know, what might have been desirable 24-hour shifts when you're 20-something aren't so desirable when you're 50-something. Um, and so I think there's two sides of it for us to consider both widely on our side, but also for the two of you as you write and uh, talk to guests is like, what are the challenges of working for baby boomers? What are the, what are some of the difficulties of an aging workforce? How is that changing maybe how we structure our organizations? That, that's something that uh, Jason Dush and I uh, addressed in a, in a uh, lecture at the Texas EMS conference this past week that, uh, entitled uh, Eating Our Own Young. That very thing, how, to, how do we you know, harness the, the, uh, the talents of, of the, the you know, millennials without, uh, uh, and, and at the same time learn from them uh, and, and while, while teaching them the, the things that they need to know that, that may not be you know, the strong suit of their generation. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot we can learn from uh, uh, the, the newest generation in, in EMS. And, and rather than doing the whole, you know, you kids get off my lawn thing, uh, we, we, uh, we should embrace some of their, their talents. Because and, and, uh, yeah. uh, they literally yeah. are the future of EMS. Um, and I, just, I have one other thought, Chris, and you, you mentioned uh, stress. And I, I think one of the things that, you I mean, there's all sorts of things that can contribute to stress. One of the things that I think is going to increasingly affect field providers is that there's going to be an increasing number of mergers or consolidations. And, of course, that's been happening in EMS for a long time, uh, perhaps more on the, the private uh, side of EMS or the small sort of single uh, mom-and-pop agency, if you will, being acquired. I think in the years ahead, we're going to see many more mergers and consolidations happening in the, in the municipal uh, side of EMS, whether it be fire departments that offer uh, EMS function combining with the neighboring fire departments. But that, um, you know, that's the mergers and consolidations is an issue in itself, but then the potential stress that can come from that for the workforce uh, is fairly significant, and you know it might be one that is worth our worth all of us keeping our eyes on in the years ahead. You know, I think one of the things that's really interesting about stress is try to try to ha- do a show with Kelly Grayson, and that. <laughs> Is I mean that stress is just so high, but you know we'll talk about that another time, Greg. Since you're the boss now, and okay. we'll see if we can work that out. But you know, as we start to think about our time now, and again, we're so excited um, of of you being here. Um, you know, and we're we're for your guidance and for your leadership. And one of the things I would be remiss for if I didn't tell the listeners that are out there, there are a whole bunch of archives as well. Uh, on EMS education that I hope we can link over to EMS one that that you've done for many years at uh, www.emseducast.com and you did that show for a long time buying for EMS 
um, buy-in for EMS educators. And, uh, you know, I just want to say thank you. And I'm excited that you have the opportunity now to, uh, you know, be part of the EMS One family, uh, you know, kind of take the lead, move us into the next uh, next few years, as well as help Kelly uh, and I, especially Kelly on his podcasting skills and uh, what the future of that's going to look like. Yeah, for sure. I, um, I got your back, Chris, and uh, we'll see what we can do with Kelly. Well, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, you know, <laughs> Kelly, I think it's great, man. We got Greg here, but I think it's time to uh, get up on out of here. So why don't you uh, give the folks the ending and let's go. All right. Well, guys, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. And as always, we welcome your comments, concerns, suggestions. So email us with those at the show at ems1.com. And we will see you next week.